So could you tell us a little bit about how you got started with shamanism? Um, it probably started when I was around um, 29. Um, I was you know, had a pretty dramatic Saturn return and um, moved back to Connecticut after living in the Midwest for about 12 years. Um, and I just realized you know, I had to live my life differently. I wasn't sure how that would look or what that would look like. And I have to say at that point, I was pretty angry at God and spirit and a lot of stuff. So, um, so, but the only thing I could really sort of hang on to in my mind is because my background had been fine art is that I wanted to, to um, use that creative process in a way that I thought was useful. So I am um, focused on sacred objects and um, just began you know, looking at ways in which, you know, you, know you, you take a branch or a stick or a rock or something, there's something inherently magical about it. And if you put them together, it creates other kinds of magic. So how do you, you know, so that was kind of that period of time of just sort of figuring those things out. And eventually I, I met a teacher um, who set me on my journey um, to be, uh, I guess, a shaman. Um, you know, she, um, after I'd been sort of spending time with her, not really doing anything in particular, um, but out of the blue, she sort of said to me, um, you know, uh, I want you to come back in a couple of weeks with a rawhide rattle that you made. And I was kind of like, okay, where do I get rawhide? And she said, I don't know. It's your world. You figure it out. So I am. Um, the only thing I could think of was um, I'll go to a pet store and get the biggest rawhide dog bone I could find. And I did. And I um, went home and put it in my bathtub and soaked it and, and worked with this weird material until I made a rattle. And that kind of began my journey of using this instrument, which is, you know, basically what I do, what I've been doing for the last 25 years is I shake the rattle and I try to um, use it as a tool for transformation for the body, mind, and spirit. So, um, so that's kind of where it all began. You know, and it, it wasn't a straight route. I mean, I can't, can't say it led me in some kind of direct way. It's been very sort of um, convoluted and twisted and not always so clear. So you'd say it started with uh, sacred objects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just just understanding the energy of them. You know, like why why do things? You know, I mean, we're taught in a lot of spiritual traditions that everything has a vibration, everything has a sound, etc. But, but but what does that really mean? You know, and, and being someone who constructs stuff, and makes things. You know, you know, for me, it's like there's okay, so there's, there's the actual physical putting the materials together, but then there's something that happens in that relationship between those materials. And to me, that's um, what makes them magical is understanding that relationship also. Um, a little like music. You know, if you have the right rhythms together, you create this polyrhythm, you know, and then it, it transforms, you know, the space. Or something else. Right. So, um, so I think that's, you know, a lot of what a shaman does is we look at things not just in their physical form, although that has a very important um has a very important resonance on its own, but we look at its energetic qualities, its relationship, like what's actually, what's the communication that's happening on this unseen level, you know? Right. It's kind of like an alchemical mm -hmm. sort of a mm -hmm. Absolutely. combination. Yeah. And, and it's always, you know, for me, it's always like moving into relationship with stuff. You know, it's like, you know, like when I make a rattle, you know, it's like I'm moving into relationship with the wood the handle is made out of. So then I have to understand like if it's, um, let's say, cedar wood, I have to understand what cedar wood is all about and how cedar trees grow and that, and that whole process of what it what is that relationship, you know? And then the same thing with, like, if I'm using the hide of an animal to make this, the rattle, the ball part of the rattle, it's like, you know, um, 
they're moving into relationship with that animal because they become stewards in a, in a symbiotic relationship of healing that I'm that I'm sort of asking them to participate in. You know, so there's right. you know, so I, there's a whole sort of process that has to happen. Being aware that there's being consciously aware that there's a conversation going on and that you're a participant of that conversation. Um, you know, and that there's actually an exchange of information and that we're aware that there's an exchange of information. You know, that's... Um, what kind of a... Uh, do you run ceremonies? I do. I run like, ceremonies and, and rituals and things. <laughs> and, and and the same thing plays out in those because then you have to go into a space and then you have to, you know, you have to ask the space if it wants to participate, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then you have to figure out what kind of structure you're going to build energetically with the people, you know, the the... the fire, the elements, all of that, you have to kind of go in and there's a whole process involved in, in sort of sorting all of that out. So everybody, so everything feels like it has a meaningful place in it, you know, and it's, it's not hierarchical. Um, I think that's kind of, you right. know, um, it's a conversation. Right. You're saying. right. And, and also it's, um, everything has a, has a, has a, a, a thing that they contribute that's of equal value. You know, I think that's often lost in what we would call modern religion, which is hierarchical where, you know, are considered better than others, and that's not really true. In, um, in the- and also kind of uh, modern ceremonies, like where there's kind of just an exchange of money. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. the facilitator puts everything together and participants don't have a like an active mm-hmm. role in putting the ceremony together. Right, and that's, that's, a, that's a very sort of Western spiritual kind of model because, because really, you know, prior to, we'll say, like the, this whole sort of Christian whatever – um, you know, um, everybody brought something to the ceremony, whether they cooked the food or whether they, you know, were the fire keepers or whatever. Everyone had a, a had a way to contribute to making the ceremony happen. You know, and then with the, you know, the idea of, of a church or a temple, you know, suddenly you had people who who suddenly were, um, you know they were put into a different kind of class or they had like the, the knowledge or the mystery or whatever, you know, so that sort of made them the ones you had to go through to have a divine connection, right. you know, and that um, I think began a breakdown, I think, in communities and spiritual development. Yeah. In uh, North America or just in general? I think in general, I mean, I, I would say, you know, we, we see it primarily, well, we, you know, some of what I've studied has been in Europe, you know, um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but you can sort of see it everywhere. You know, whenever there's a, a change in the social cultural structure in a place, um, you know, the first thing mm-hmm. that get you know damaged are the social structures, the language structures, the spiritual structures. You know, um, and they usually change to whoever has power in that situation. So, um, mm-hmm. is there a particular tradition you've been? initiated in um, or where did you start with shamanism i would say that i had sort of a um an interesting mix of um north american wisdom that i that was shared with me mostly primarily around the rattle um i also had um have um part of my my own personal development was also through um tibetan buddhism and just learning the meditation techniques so that I could um, focus my mind. Um, and I have a, a Tara practice through that. So um, so I have some... Hey, what? A tar- you said Tara? Tara. Tara. Tara, T-A-R-A. Right. So I work with, with her as a deity um, in my work. Um, and then um, 
I've had a little bit of um, Central American shamanism, but I f this has been my issue with a lot of the stuff that's coming out of there. I feel like it's um, very um, um, it, I just don't feel it's real. So I have a lot of issues with what people are calling shaman, uh, uh, Peruvian shamanism or Ecuadorian shamanism, et cetera, when it comes up here. So I feel like this, a lot of it has been lost in translation or even I've heard from a lot of the elders that do sort of, you know, um, say stuff from down there that they didn't sanction these traditions or these rituals to be done up here and things like that. So I, I find a lot of that to be very dubious, you know? Uh, yeah. So I, uh, can you talk, uh, like, what in particular do you think? Um, have, have you seen that you've uh, been suspicious of? Uh, well, this, uh, um, well, let's see. Um, well, there's a, a lot of people who do what's called a cacao ceremony. Um, and um, and I, from the people who participate in it, they say it's a very powerful experience. Um, but when I actually started trying to figure out where this came from and, and where it originated, I couldn't find any information. Um, now I, it's not that I don't believe cacao is a sacred herb or a sacred medicine to people from that region. Um, I just, I'm not sure that what people are calling a cacao ceremony actually is based on something truthful. Um, the whole CBD oil thing that's um, happening right now it seems like a movement here. Every, all of a sudden, everybody is selling it. Everybody's using it. Now. And I have no doubt that CBD oil helps a lot of people with a lot of different issues. But I also feel like, you know, it's a plant medicine that's, um, you know, also being somewhat marketed um, for everything. Like it's the panacea for everything, the magic pill, the magic herb. And I, I always find that that stuff is um, not always true and also to the detriment of the plant, you know. Can you speak more about that to the detriment of plants? Well, my understanding is that, you know, plants grow in relationship to other plants. You know, they are, um, they grow in a symbiotic relationship. They are in family groups and units, whether it's a boreal forest or the rainforest, you know, and those relationships with those other plants, you know, the pheromones that are exchanged, the chemistry, you know, how information is passed between the roots and the soil, all of those things create a plant that has a certain quality to it. And a lot of times when we move into something that's highly marketed, we turn it into a monocrop. So suddenly it's grown just like we would grow any other, you know, um, like corn or soybeans. Okay, So the plant in itself loses something in that process, I think, in its physical quality, but also in its energetic and, and, and spiritual quality. Yeah, yeah so, it's kind of abuse, right? <laughs> like, uh, it's kind of a form of abuse. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and and people don't think about that. You know, it's like, um, you know, um, a good example of this is the essential oil market, and you can just pick a company. Um, but you know, you take a whole lot of plant, a whole lot of plant to make a tiny bit of oil. So imagine the amount of plants that are being grown as a monocrop in order for this to happen, so that someone can get their you know their lavender oil or their heliochrism or all of that. You know. But this is where, like, you know, this is where, like, me as a practicing shaman, this is where I begin to sort of, like, go, okay, so this is the science of what we understand. We understand that the plant has physical qualities. You know, we have a physical body, and we can put these physical qualities together, and we can have something happen in the body. Okay, so that's one aspect of plant medicine. Then there's this whole other quality of what I do 
you know, in sort of connecting people energetically to the plant. So, you know, um, I call in, let us say, um, pine or some other plant that's out there to help work with somebody on that energetic level, you know. Um, and in that sense, you know, we're not actually killing the plant, we're not harming the plant, but we're creating another exchange on a different level, you know. And if we are multi-dimensional beings, you know, if we have a physical, uh, an etheric, an astral, you know, an energetic body, et cetera, whatever one wants to call these things. You know, if we stimulate something in one of these other fields, we can also stimulate the physical body. You know, so so I like, you know, and I think that's part of the way to um, work with plants and also um, develop a practice of of communicating in a more symbiotic way. So we're not just ripping plants out of the ground, we're not over-harvesting, we're not creating monocrops, we're, you know, creating a, a better relationship with the plant. Um, you know, and then there's also the whole um, concept of um, homeopathy, you know, if you have a tiny little bit of something, it gives you access to the, right. you know, so there's working with that too, um, you know, and, and that sort and, of... And, you know, things like homeopathies you know more popular in places where resources are scarcer yeah. like in india for example right and there's a there's um you know there's a, also like um a whole body of science called radionics and um and radiesthesia which are forms of dowsing and energy work which you know you actually figure out what the frequency of something is and then you use a, a device of some sort whether it's a pendulum or a radionics machine or whatever but you can actually broadcast those frequencies out into the field or into somebody's personal energy. So there's there's a lot of things out there that that like I think are part of present. how we're going to answer how we're going to resolve this. These you know this, this idea of right. um, how do we use these resources without destroying them at the same time? How have you developed your relationship with these plants so you could work with them? With have I d developed my relationship? Like with for plants? example, like uh, like you say, you call it, call in white pine, mm -hmm. right? Uh, mm -hmm. Well, like, is there any way, like, over the years you've developed a relationship with white pine? Yeah, I mean, so so basically, you know, um, part of how I develop a relationship is I go out and I and I look at trees or I look at this or I go out and I sit with the plants or whatever, and I and I just kind of, you know, try to interact with them and understand what they're all about. You know, um, I try to, you know, um, see, you know, what it is. You know, you know, so. If, Right. So, you know, sitting with the tree, you know, sometimes putting my back against the tree, just meditating with the tree, smelling the tree, you know, just like interacting with it. Like when I when I had when I began my 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 training, um, my teacher told me to go find something called a burden tree. And it was a tree that I was supposed to visit every single day if I could. And the idea was that um, I would leave a little note or something that represented something that was bothering me or something, a burden of some sort. And the tree in a relationship with me would, would help me deal with this. So, you know, so every day when you visit a tree, you see it change. You see all sorts of things about how the tree grows. You notice all the details about the tree. And you begin to have this kind of deep relationship with the tree. And for me, I had um, a, um, a relationship. I, I found this willow tree, this gigantic willow tree. And I worked with it for a year. And I visited, and visited it every day. 
Um, you know, and it was what was amazing is I'd come and I'd leave a little something in a crook or, you know, tuck it into some bark or whatever. And I came back the next day and that was gone. It was like, it was sort of like magical to me. Mm. And then after about a year, um, it was a, it was like in March and we had like an ice storm. And I'll never forget, I came up there and like um, this huge branch had fallen. Huge. It was like almost like a tree limb. That's how big it was. And I felt very sad for the tree. And um, when I came back, a couple of days later, um, and that branch that had fallen, this, so this huge sort of tree limb, was um, covered with little green leaves, like it had sprouted, had totally regenerated. And, and to me, that was just a really sort of powerful sort of message that the tree was giving me, that I you know, spent my time doing this, and that you know, it was a sign that, um, that I, I was on my way of healing, you know, I was being regenerated, et cetera. So... Um, but that's also the interesting thing about nature and working with nature is that we have this capacity of if we put in whatever the energy is, the effort, nature will reflect back to us in a way um, our, 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 you know, our progress. You know? Um, and there wasn't anything that I did in particular. You know, I didn't necessarily drink willow tea or do I, I just went and I visited this tree. You know? um, and that's something I also right. teach my students. It's like to go out and like, you know, don't just read books, go out and actually interact, you know, um, you know, even if it's not, not just plant medicine, but even animal medicine. So like, if, you know, if they see like a hawk or something, it's like, well, go figure out how hawks live and eat and take care of their children and like who they are as beings. Cause that's going to tell you more about that medicine than reading Ted Andrews or any other book about right. animal medicine. So, it's all a big book, right? right? Nature's a big book. Right. Well, that's, I mean, but that's why we take on bodies. That's why I tell people, you know, we come in here and we take on bodies for a reason. That's to participate in all of this, you know? Um, and then remember this other stuff, you know, the, um, the energy stuff, you know? Yeah, that's something I wanted to talk to you about. I know you, uh, you're you doing a, uh, a webinar on uh, dimensions. Uh-huh. Uh, Kind of the structure, structure of reality. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thing. Uh-huh. Um, can you can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Like, um, well, so not to give it all away, but I'll just sort of say, you know, we have this mythology that as dimensions get higher, they get they they become more light, like, and, and it's usually characterized by physical light. You know, we become light, light beings, etc. So, um. So knowing just some basic physics, you know, and understanding that, you know, um, light is the byproduct of of a reaction, you know, between electrons or et cetera. So we, you know, these things bounce together, have a reaction, and bounce bounces a photon, right? So light can't actually be a, a dense um, or a more complex dimension. Just it's not possible for it. Um, so when I am... Um, Begin sort of looking at different systems, like what, like the chakra system, for instance. You know, and they always say like, well, the root is all about density, da, 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 and you move all the way up to the crown chakra, which is light and everything. And I, I had to sort of like look at that, and I kind of go, it doesn't feel right to me. There's something wrong with that, you know. Um, and and if you know if 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 that were the case, you know, um, how does you know? I mean, light like moves at a certain speed. You know, it can it can transfer information, et cetera. But it's it's not really a um, a more complex dimension, you know, um, and if the crown chakra is, you know, um, everything, you know, um, all light, all sound, all color, everything in the universe, all, there it is up there, 
above our head. That's the, it sounds to me like a black hole, which is the densest thing in the universe. <laughs> you know, you know? Um, and then so, so then I began sort of thinking, well, okay, so the root chakra, what, what is that really about? So it's all about your family of origin, like you know, who birthed you into this world, your lineage, you know, who taught you manners, who taught you how to be in the world, et cetera, you know, how to interact, um, table man, all that stuff, language, you know, education, it all happens in your root chakra. You know, and then you move up to your second chakra, and that's all about one-on-one relationships with people outside of your family, outside of your tribe. So, you know, friends, lovers, coworkers, all of those people, all of those relationships that you create outside of that. You know, and then, then you move into your third chakra, which is not necessarily will, but it's service. When you have a good foundation of who you are through your tribe and your family, and you have good, healthy one-on-one relationships, then you understand how you serve your community. And when you understand how to serve your community, your heart opens up, right? You know, when your heart opens up, then you move into your throat chakra, you can speak truth, right? You know, when you can speak truth, all of these things are working. Then, you know, you move into the place of, of, of being connected to this greater vision, which is the third eye, seeing not only the physical, but all the other things um, energetically with that. And then the crown, which is above, that's the, you know, that's, the, that's where everything everything comes from it's you know we can, we can say it's a star because stars are pretty dense you know we are made of star stuff so it's that reflection back to us so those are the you know some of the things i'm going to talk about in my talk is just like giving people a different look at things you know and sort of talking about it merging it with science you know so trying to understand how it all fits together and supposed to sort of saying well science doesn't understand the spiritual world and the spiritual world doesn't understand science, and they can never actually sort of come together and have an understanding. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that never, yeah, never rang true for me at yeah, all. Yeah, so it's, I think you know, it's like we're, we're talking about the same thing, and we're all talking about similar stuff. It's just every, there's been this artificial line that's been drawn that's created this conflict, unnecessary conflict. It's, I mean, it's funny because I think science figured all this out, you know, in the early 20th century, right? Kind of the first uh, rule, like hermetic rule is that everything is consciousness. Mm-hmm. Right? right, absolutely. And, uh, and that's, I mean, not to be all pop science-y, but that is what quantum, you know, <laughs> physics well, quantum, is yeah. kind of suggesting. Yeah, well, that's what it is. It's sort of suggesting that there is like this, this kind of interesting relationship between subatomic particles that... Uh, you know, um, relates to the the greater, you know, um, more complex. Um, well, that's something strange is happening there, and ha- it kind of has the mm-hmm. a wisp or mm-hmm. of kind of consciousness. It seems like mm-hmm. what we're talking about there is consciousness, right? But also, <laughs> but, but, in, but it's interesting. I, I don't see it so much in the quantum as I do, like in the string theory concept. You know, it's like the, the idea that you know. Um, yeah, these strings between subatomic particles, how they're pulled or plucked, creates the reality that we see. But then there's also the folded up dimensions within that. And those, to me, are the the other ways in which, the other places that we access through meditation, through journeying, through, you know, you know whatever. Can, can, you, can you speak more about that, folded up dimensions? Yeah, there's um. so the idea is that um, where, so... When the original theory of string theory came about, they said there are two subatomic particles, and between the two subatomic particles is a little filament, a little string. Okay, and depending on how they are pulled, reality 
different forms of reality or matter are created. Um, but it's not it's not like straight lines. It's not like a grid. It's more like if you can kind of imagine like um, a Brillo pad or something. There's a whole sort of mass of string sort of undulating and pulling and stretching and things like that. So the theory says that wherever they intersect, so wherever two lines cross, there's a, a multi-dimensional form that exists. So um, they use the form Kalabi-Yau, which is named after two um, mathematicians. Um, and basically, in its, it's a manifold. It's, its least dimensions are six, but it can have more dimensions than that. So, so that's the form they use is what's folded up there. So in theoretical physics, um, they recognize 11 dimensions. So we live in our physical form right now. We live in four dimensions, three of space and one of time. And then, mm-hmm. and then there's at least these other six. So that's four. I mean, I'm sorry. This, there's at least six. So that makes it 10. And then the 11th is this other kind of time. And that's the way in which we enter into these folded dimensions. And that's either through meditation or through journeying or through plant medicine or something that allows us to open up. So like when we actually like, you know, have an awakened experience, like, a you know, um, we're not actually going anywhere. We're actually going deeper into our own complexity. Uh, we're actually understanding more about who we are. Um, you know, and, and I think that's more in alignment with what's really happening. Because I think we're, we've been taught that if, we have, if we're going on a meditation, we're doing a journey, we're leaving our body. And that's not necessarily true. Um, I think what we're doing is we're becoming more aware of our, deep, of, our, of, our, of our deeper, more complex self. So, you know, so when the Buddha talked about sitting under the Bodhi tree and um, facing all of his amaras, his fears, all of his stuff, you know, and then he suddenly became aware of all of his lives, past and present, future, everything. He just, you know, that's kind of what I think is happening on that string theory, it, like in that sense of we become aware of our deeper um, dimensions, our more complex, folded up reality. You know, um, mm. would you say that's like on on a molecular level, like in your body, yeah. or yeah. yeah? And I think that's also where you know. Um, when we become awake in that sense, our chemistry changes, our physical chemistry changes, you know, and I think that's when we begin to, you know, have um, experiences with, like, we feel things differently. We have a more heightened sense of um, hearing or seeing or touch, taste, all of that happens and when we have these awakenings. And then we actually begin to learn how to use the body differently, you know, so, you know, there's lots of kinds of healing touch like Reiki or quantum healing or, um, you know, um, uh, cranial sacral, all of those things. Um, and I, I believe all of them are valuable forms of energy healing. Um, but if we don't really understand how to use the tool of our body, we're, we're not really fully understanding the potential in that. So, you know, if we awaken in a certain way, you know, and, and we're suddenly connected in this, you know, deeper, more complex way. Um, the interface between us and somebody else is less defined, um, and and in that sense, there's um, a way in which energy can flow between two people, which is more efficient, etc. Would you say you've had these experiences? And in- oh yeah, 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> did they did they come from meditation or or, or what? Um, like, some from meditation. Um, some from just um, just practice, just doing the work. I always tell people, there's no way around practice. You know. Yeah. But what kind of practice? You know, um, work, working with sound, like so working with the drum, working with the rattle. You know, working with those things right. in a consistent yeah. way. Uh, and sound is kind of like the royal road, right? It's, it's definitely a place where we begin to hone the tool, I think. You know, because the idea is that you, you do it long enough so that you understand how to move your brain into a theta state or move your brain into a, a deeper state of resonance. And it's then through that that we have these experiences. So, you know, so the, the drum, you play it at a certain tempo that stimulates the theta, the same with the rattle. You know, and the theta state in the brain is where we, you know, you know, um, it's the same wavelength that exists when we do, let's say, a hallucinogenic. Okay, so if we can actually stimulate this without putting a chemical on our body, right, then we can control it differently. So, um, and then we become more aware of how to use it. So we're not, you know, kind of inducing it in a way that's kind of interesting but not useful. You know, it's a recreation. But if we can actually formulate a way to use it consistently, then we can have access to more information while being in the present moment. You know, and this is also the place of invocation, of um, of uh, manifestation, all of those things. It all happens in the frontal part of our brain, in the frontal lobe. Say again? What about manifestation? Manifestation, um, invocation, all start in the frontal cortex, the frontal part of our, our brain, the frontal lobes. And that's where the theta state is stimulated. You know, um, there's a, a, a scientist, and his name escapes me, but he did something called the, um, the God Helmet. Because um, one of the other sort of interesting things about sound is it's not just the sound waves, it's what it's actually doing to to matter and to space. So one of the things that um, he discovered is that if you increase the magnetic field in the frontal, around the frontal lobes, that you can create a, an experience of me, like meeting divinity. So, and he's done this over and over again um, since he developed this thing, but basically he increases the magnetic field and people consistently across the board have this experience. So one of the things I did in some of my research a while, a long time ago, actually, is that I realized that um, if that's true, then when we do drumming or something, there has to be a change in the magnetic field. So I went around with a tri-field meter and computers and some other equipment. I just would go to drumming circles and stuff, and I would measure how the magnetic field was changed. And I found that, you know, with certain African rhythms and certain other kinds of rhythms, you would watch the magnetic field rise and fall, you know, consistently with certain rhythms or with certain passages. Would, would this be... In people's brains. Yeah. Well, this is the, this is just measuring it in space. But then, but, but okay. if you look at how, a lot of times how these were traditionally, especially like at African rhythms, or even in the um, in the uh, Haitian drumming traditions, now when they did a ceremony, they would drum for a really long time. You know, um, and partly, you know, it, it, you know that was to change the space, to bring in the spirits, to change the space into sacred space. You know. Um, I have personally have yet to like do an actual measurement during a ceremony of that caliber, but my theory is that you would see a, a an increase in the magnetic field just basically based on my field studies for shorter durations, and then that in itself would affect the brain, affect the people participating, etc. You know, which also kind of you know speaks to like people who fall down and speak in tongues or move into a trance state. You know, that happens through that use of sound. 
um, you know, and another sort of side side of sort of thought, and I'll just like um, which is associated actually with plants. We'll bring it back around. Um, there's a lot of what, what are um, found all over at least the northeast and some places in the southwest seed caches. So these are places where they would store seed for planting. And what they found is that they were built on magnetic anomalies. And they've also discovered that if you take seeds and you bombard them with a high magnetic field, they become more robust. So that's another um, thing we found. These seed caches were put in... Like, uh, who created those? Um, different indigenous people throughout the um, Northeast. Like, a lot of them, actually, we don't know who did them, but they're just found, like, especially through the Adirondacks and through the Berkshires. And they're usually aligned to the rising sun on the solstices. Um, but they all sit in very high magnetic um, anomalies. So, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, it's actually really fascinating. So, um, what do you think is happening in the spiritual world right now? Okay. Um, we're coming up on the solstice, right? And the solstice is a time when, you know, um, the sun has made this sort of figure eight um, movement in the sky. You know, it's gone down into the southern hemisphere. And when that happens, we have winter here. And now it's making its way back, and in a few days it will cross over the equator and begin its journey along the um, the northern hemisphere. You know, and um, and that has always happened, right? It's, it's happened for as long as the the moon and the sun and are um, as long as the moon is falling. Right. It's 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 been happening forever, and it'll happen until I don't know something changes it, right? You know, and, and if we look at our our human relationship to that, we've and and all over the planet, everyone has kind of a, a different story that they tell about that, you know. Um, but the energies remain the same, um, and they're doing exactly what they've always done, and will continue to do with some changes and variations. Um, but also, you know, there's this idea of time. So as time progresses, these things move and shift also. So, you know, they're not exactly in the same alignment that they were, let's say, 7,000 years ago when the pyramids were built. You know, so there's things that are slightly different energetically. So a lot of sacred sites, um, which were aligned with, you know, certain earth energies and also certain planetary and are, are no longer aligned in those same ways. You know, um, I think the, the theory is that there's something like there's six degrees off. So, like, if you're, um, let's say, um, at a sacred site, let's say, like Stonehenge, and you want to actually feel the energy, you would move either east or west six degrees, and you would actually find that energy because of how everything has changed. Um, you know, so it's not that the it's not that these sites are not powerful because they were built as powerful sites. But there's a way in which this energy has shifted. Um, uh, I mean, that's just. Uh kind of astronomical fact uh -huh. right? absolutely yeah but to me that's right but but that to me is the unseen like to me like when people talk about spirits to me it's it's phenomena it's the energy of the stuff we can't see and how it plays out in our reality you know so we can't feel gravity but we know gravity's part of what keeps us here on this planet you know um we know that you know radiation the heat from the sun warms us up and makes seed sprouts sprout and plants grow and leaves synthesize and things like that 
you know, and feeds, feeds us. us and all of that, you know. And then there's then there's you know the you know um, sound and 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 the subatomic world and all those things. So to me, all of that is what makes up spirit. Okay, that's the unseen phenomena, you know. And then and then we get to you know as shamans, storytellers, priestesses, you know those who work the spiritual world. We we speak of it as as a story, you know, and that's where gods and goddesses. That's where you know the the you know, and that's the story that ties it all together, you know. Because um, and actually, when you t- when someone tells a story, it actually it actually stimulates the brain differently, you know. Um, we actually are, become more receptive, more in our heart. It becomes a very aesthetic experience, which is actually one of the ways in which we um, exchange information in a, in a much more cellular, emotional manner. So, so telling stories is, is a part of our human mythology all across the planet. But it has also allowed us this ability to sort of weave these two worlds together, this unseen world and this seen world, you know. Um, you know, so... Right. I'm just thinking about something I read recently uh, about uh, Celtic shamanism. Uh-huh. It's a, a memoir. Uh-huh. Sort of. um, he's like a sorcerer's uh-huh. apprentice, right? Just a shaman's apprentice. And he was watching the shaman uh, kind of take out entities uh-huh. from a person. And it, they look like, uh, like worms, uh-huh. right? And the shaman explained that your mind is creating that image because that's what you think uh-huh. they should look like or they look like, but I, but they actually look like something completely different. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, um, and that's a that's a common phenomenon because that's one of the things like in part of my training is I had to understand how my brain saw things because it wasn't necessarily how other people saw things. You know, so so I would have right. to, and, and this is also what I have my students do. It's like you you keep a dream dream journal and basically you write in there all kinds of stuff like you know. Um, like when you have a dream, you write your dreams down, but if you have a daydream, you write that down, um, you know, and also you write down what you eat and, and maybe what the moon cycle was in or whatever, because that tells you a little bit about how your body responds to energy and food and things like that. So that you become versed in, you know, how you, how how our mind conjures basically, you know, so it's like, you know, so I know like if I eat, let's say, um, starchy food, I dream a certain way. Or I know that if I drink, you know, um, OSHA root tea before a ceremony, my brain is going to be able to facilitate it in a particular way. So, you know, so these are the things you try to discover about who you are. You know, um, you know, you know, right. you know. If I use mugwort, but what does it all mean if it changes so much? But that's you know? part of what. That's why it's it's kind of that's why I, I, I've I've been using this term recently. There's no cookie cutter spirituality or ritual or ceremony. You can start off at one place, but you have to be present to understand what's actually unfolding in front of you to actually move the energy. That seems essential. Absolutely. And we don't get there if we don't understand how our body works, you know, or how our mind works or our nervous system or whatever, you know, and that's part of the alchemy of, of, you know, that's the great mystery, I think, sometimes that we um, we lose because we're, um, you know, we think it's it's something we're going to find in a book. And actually, we have to just look at ourselves, you know, 
Yeah. Right. right. And that's kind of uh, like in, in the shamanistic traditions I've looked into, there's a emphasis on moving your your perception perception from your mind to your heart. Uh-huh. Right? Like the heart is uh, always the, the only thing that exists for the heart is the present. Uh-huh. Right. And the mind will make up uh, all sorts of stories right. and kind of, you know, want it to be a certain mm-hmm. way. And, well, that's why, you, yeah. Uh, but you want you want to be make friends with your mind because you need your mind because it's how it interprets all of that information that's coming in. So everything you're hearing, seeing, has to go through the brain. So you have to figure out how to use this. Yeah, my friend was describing this kind of uh, using a uh, using your mind and your heart together in kind of a stereo stereoscopic mm-hmm. sort of vision. right, right, and that's something to to develop. Absolutely, you know, and that, and I think that's um, that's one of the things I think the modern spiritual New Age movement has sort of said. Oh, throw out the mind; it gets in the way. Well, it's like it's not; it doesn't; it, it doesn't. It's not that it gets in the way; it's just you don't know how to use it. You know, I think, right? You really, you definitely need your right. Mind. You definitely need to be able to discern, and you definitely be able to, you know, um, figure out what's happening around you. And and also part of imagination is to use our mind. You know, to solve a problem, you have to be able to take in information and then do something with it so um we don't have much time left um can you speak a little bit more about how you work with plants um sure um a lot of times um especially like if i travel and and not so much this year but when i've traveled a lot before like wherever i go i will try to find a plant when i get there and have a relationship with it of some sort have a conversation with it so um, and for me, that's really important to establish ties in that sense, because then I'm respecting that place. I'm respecting the energies of that place. So I'll go and you know, even if it's like, you know, a little dandelion or if it's just something like, you know, I usually take a few minutes or a little bit of time when I arrive someplace to connect with a plant. Um, and yeah. the reason why dandelion definitely has a beautiful spirit. They do. They do. Um, and the reason why is because, you know, plants, you know, they have these roots and these roots mix with the with the the soil and the microbes and the fungus, you know, and that's like a whole sort of internet of of information. So when you connect with a plant, you're actually like, you know, starting a conversation with that place and, you know, and and it's sort of sending out information about my work and what I'm doing. So every, every, all the plants and everything that's around begin to move into relationship with it. So, um, so I find this to be a really good practice in general, you know, just to, you know, when you go some places to go and, and, announce your presence you know and and you know and and then when i go back to these places like you know um i can go back and visit them and i can feel that energy like like i get excited and i can feel that place get excited because i'm visiting you know so there's you can feel that you know um yeah i heard uh especially in the northeast or just north america in general uh people i mean plants are so used to being ignored that they're happy for to have any sort of uh acknowledgement from the human dominant fauna <laughs> well it's, it's interesting you say that because I, I was like um probably um it was probably like around 2000 um i was up, up in boston there's a huge um cemetery up there and i actually like walking through cemeteries because they're kind of interesting places and there was this huge gnarly old um japanese maple and I just looked at it and I reached over and I just touched one of its leaves and I just started to laugh. Like I just felt all this ridiculously silly joy coming from this 
tree. <laughs> you know, and I just remember like it was just like it was so happy that someone saw it and that someone touched it, like someone interacted with it. You know, and that and that happens a lot sometimes. You know, just you know, you're out somewhere and you put your hand on a tree and like, or you plant and you get this. Was it a was it a lonely tree? It didn't feel lonely. Like it was having a good time, but it was like it was sort of like you know, it's like thank you for acknowledging me. You know, it's like right. like I see you, you see me. We get this. Yeah. So yeah. Right. But I also think that their consciousness is different. I mean, I think we we think they're lonely, but they're not. I mean, you know, they're you know they're aware of everything, and and they and they do exchange information. So I think you know, it's a little bit different. Um, I wouldn't say that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just speaking loosely. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes I, I mostly I feel concerned sometimes from them because I think they're you know they 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 recognize that there's crisis happening in the world around us. You know, and they're. Right. Part of what could be the collateral damage of that crisis. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking oh, to me. You're us. welcome. I, this this works oh, out. And fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I guess I will t- uh, talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Yep. yep.